0: If I've learned one thing, it's that the secrets we hide have a devastating impact on our life. When we hide secrets, we're forced to lie about who we are, and we present ourselves to the world as something that we're not.
1: That's Bruce Music, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I'm your host, Malik Josephs. Happy, happy Wednesday. And boy, do we have an episode in store for you today with our newest featured speaker and relationship repair expert, Bruce Music. And he is here to talk about the devastating impact that Withholding secrets and telling lies can do to us. And boy, does he have a story for you. Here's Bruce Music. Enjoy.
0: So I'm 10 years old. And today is going to be a great day because today my mom's going to take me to the beach. And so we scramble into the car and we drive down to the traffic lights and then we stop at the traffic lights and we all reach over in unison and we lock the doors. And as we're driving along the coast road to the beach a bus bears down towards me, and above the driver's head is a big sign that says, Whites Only. As we arrive at the beach, there's a big fence down the middle of the beach dividing the beautiful white, big, sandy section into a small, little, black, rocky section. So I turn to my mom and I say, Mommy, why is there a a, a fence down the beach? And she says, Honey, that's to keep the white people separate from the black people. So I'm 10 years old, and on this journey alone, I've already learned that Black people are dangerous because they might hijack our car. And black people need to be kept separate. I'm 10 years old, and I'm already a racist. Now, fast forward 18 years, and my life is starting to look pretty rosy. I'm a music producer. I've just written a song that's risen to number one on the South African Top 40 charts and stayed there for six weeks. I've just fallen in love with a beautiful woman. But underneath my thin veneer of the appearance of success, I felt really numb inside. Have any of you ever felt numb inside before? You had that feeling? Thank you. But of course, I wouldn't tell anybody about that. When people asked me how I was doing, I'd say, hey, I'm fine. How are you? To prevent them from really discovering the deep resignation I had about my life. Now, around about that same time, during the transition from South Africa's uh, apartheid government to our democracy, it became really hip to be seen as what we called a new South African. And a new South African was somebody who was a liberal white South African who embraced the change. And I proudly wore the badge of being a new South African until one day a mentor of mine came up to me and he said, Bruce, how many black friends do you have? And immediately I lied to him and said, three, because I couldn't actually think of one. He said, you mean to say out of 38 million black people in this country, you only know three of them? And in that moment, it hit me what a hypocrite I was. Here I was wearing the liberal, new South African badge, when in fact, I was still a racist. When my black house cleaner came to clean my house, I'd get really uncomfortable and couldn't wait for her to leave. When I'd leave my recording studio at night to go home and I saw black people loitering around the car, I'd wait in reception, even for half an hour if I had to, until they left before I got into my car. So I decided to do something about it. I decided I was going to get to know my culture and conquer my fear of black people. And I rented a house in the black ghetto called Guguletu, just outside Cape Town, in an area called the Cuckyard, which directly translated from Afrikaans means the Crapyard. So imagine the scene. I'm driving down the street at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning, two weeks later, to move into this new house that I've never seen before. And the street's deserted except for two men sitting drinking beer on beer crates. And I open the door to my new house, and I'm thinking, Wow, several steps down from the house I used to live in, right, which was that one. But I'm pretty grateful because I could have been living in that with no running water. So I go out to my car to unload the boxes off my car. And as I do, a crowd has started to gather around the car. And I'm thinking, oh man, now I'm in trouble. There must have been 10 to 15 black people standing there. And a woman comes forward to me and she says, um what are you doing? Now, umlungu means whitey in their local language, which is called kosa. I said, ah, uh, I'm moving in. Now, if there ever was a textbook picture for what the like, facial expression of confusion looked like, her face would have been in the book right then. You could have heard a pin drop as she translated this into kosa. And then one of my favorite African expressions for disbelief, which is, ow. Oh. And they were shaking their heads. I could see them thinking, you know, what on know going on? So she says, why are you moving in? Now at this point, I'm thinking, things are going to go a lot smoother if I just kind of say, you know what? I wanted to get to know my culture. So I came here to kind of get to know you guys for a bit. Please don't hurt me. I'm not dangerous, right? But I knew what would happen if I did. I would never conquer my fear of black people. And I'd always be that hypocrite, pretending to be a liberal New South African. So I took a deep breath. And I said, uh, well, I recently discovered I'm a racist. And I'm terrified of black people. And I've come here to conquer my fear. Total looks of disbelief all around. (laughs) And more, ow. I can see them thinking, why this crazy white guy would, A, even visit the cockyard, B, rent a dilapidated house as the only white guy for five miles? And then C, admit he was a racist? To be honest, I was kind of asking myself the same question. So the woman comes forward and she says, Umlongu, can we help you carry your boxes into the house? And I'm thinking, oh, no, no, they're going to steal everything I own. <laughs> if I say no, they're going to be offended and, you know, they might get upset, reject me from the community, maybe even kill me. But in that moment, I caught my racial conditioning. This was the exact thing I had come to conquer and to get past. So I said, sure, why not? So one by one, they take the boxes off my car, load them into the house. Nothing, of course, gets stolen. Instead, a party ensues like nothing I have ever experienced before. This is me on the right-hand side drinking Um umpomboti. And Um umpomboti is an African beer brewed in paint... uh, uh, Paint cans, that you drink out of paint cans, taste disgusting, if you're ever offered it, do not say yes. Um, but this party ensued like none I'd ever experienced. I was hugged, I was kissed, I was questioned, I was fed, I was poured alcohol, and generally treated like a prodigal son returning home. The exact opposite experience of what I'd been expecting. And that evening, I went to bed, a little tired and a little drunk, but I couldn't sleep because I was kept awake by the sound of gunshots and the sound of police sirens and the sound of screams from the house next door. And I fully expected in every moment that somebody was going to beat down my door, steal everything I owned, put a gun to my head, and pull the trigger. I woke up the next morning, and obviously that hadn't happened. So I went outside and did what everybody else did, which is go and take breakfast onto the street and eat on the street. Because in the cockyard everything happens on the street. And as I'm eating, a little boy walks up to me with a backpack on his back on his way to school. And he walks up to me. And as he sees me, he stops dead in his tracks. He looks up and he says, Mungu, you live here. I just kind of nod my head and uh, wait to see what he does. And then he looks down at his feet again. And he says two words I'll never forget. He looks up at me and says, welcome home. And in that moment, 28 years of racial conditioning evaporated, and took my numbness and resignation with it. And then he walked off. That's him. After a month, I couldn't leave. I ended up staying as six months as the only white man for five miles amongst 100,000 black people in the cuckyard. And my life changed forever. Did my depression and my numbness disappearing have anything to do with being a racist? Who knows? But what I do know for sure is that when I started sharing the truth about who I really am, I could no longer present the mask to the world called, hey, I'm fine. And the numbness had no way to live anymore. And today, I've flown to Las Vegas to share with you what I've learned over the last nine years about what it takes to live a life filled with aliveness. So I'd like you to join me in taking a deep breath for a moment. And out. Thank you. So let's look at this concept of aliveness. I want you to consider that every one of us in this room, right now, in this moment, has something we're hiding about who we are, what we've done, or how we feel. A secret that perhaps we're too afraid to tell. For me, nine years ago, it was being a racist. For a friend of mine last week, she called me up and said she'd kissed another man and she hasn't told her boyfriend yet. And for you, it might be something completely different, big or small. But whatever it is, if I've learned one thing, It's that the secrets we hide have a devastating impact on our life. When we hide secrets, we're forced to lie about who we are. And we present ourselves to the world as something that we're not. And when we do that for long enough, we lose touch with who we actually authentically are. And the aliveness that we once felt as children gets replaced by numbness. Imagine you've got a hose pipe that's twisted, and you're trying to water a garden. No water comes out. If you don't untwist the hose pipe, the garden eventually wilts and dies, right? Now, your secrets act like a twist in the hose pipe that allows aliveness to flow through your life. And unless we untwist the hose pipe by exposing ourselves and sharing our secrets, we'll always live with some form of a garden that's wilting, some form of numbness. So let's look at aliveness a little bit deeper. If you think about it, if we were born to live, L-I-V-E, then surely being alive, A-L-I-V-E, is what it's all about, right? The dictionary defines aliveness as having life, living, not dead or lifeless. It's that feeling you get when you go up to somebody you really, really, really like, and you ask them out on a first date. How many of you guys know that feeling? Right? Heart beating like crazy. It's that feeling you get when you do an extreme sport or when you take a risk or you do something that scares the living crap out of you, right? It's that feeling that most people are attempting to buy when they come to Las Vegas to gamble money in the casino. That temporary rush of aliveness. So if we're born with this innate ability to experience being alive, how come we don't experience it all the time? Because we've become so good at looking outside of ourselves to get our fix of aliveness that we've forgotten we can self-generate it in any moment. We look for it from TV, we look to get it from the internet, from extreme sports, from sex, from drugs, from rock and roll, whatever it is. And as long as we're looking outside of ourselves to get our fix of aliveness, it's always going to be fleeting. Here one second, gone the next. Joseph Campbell actually says it a lot better than I can. He says. We're so engaged in doing things to achieve purposes of outer value that we forget the inner value. The rapture that's associated with being alive is what it's all about. The lesson here is that, like anything worth having, self-liberation comes at a price. And the price is getting out of your comfort zone. And the thing that's going to stop you from getting out of your comfort zone and experiencing the freedom and the rapture of being alive that Joseph Campbell talks about is telling yourself, but I don't have any secrets I'm hiding, right? And maybe you don't. Maybe you are one of the few people who's totally transparent and transformed, and you know there may be a few in the room. But I'd like you to consider this. Um, professor of psychology at University of Massachusetts, his name is Robert Feltman. He's an expert in deception. And his research shows that when two people meet each other for the first time, They lie on average three times every 10 minutes. So if, at times, we're lying 18 times an hour, I invite you to consider that perhaps we're all liars to some degree, and we all have secrets, and the best we can do is not to try and stop lying. The best we can do, if we're all liars, is to tell the truth about where we've lied, and openly and honestly take responsibility for what we've done. And this is the invitation I want to extend to you, that you begin sharing the secrets that you're hiding from the people you love in your life with them. And get in touch with, as Joseph Campbell said, that experience the rapture of being alive. I saw this happen in South Africa in 1996 during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was designed to heal our nation of the wounds of apartheid. And victims of gross acts of human violence were invited to come up in this kind of roadshow format where they took it around the country and share what had actually happened to them, share their stories, and share these beautiful and touching and moving and often horrendously uh, uh, violent stories. And they were televised. And then the perpetrators of these crimes were invited to come up. Murderers, people who'd beaten people to death, were invited to come up and confess and request amnesty. And sometimes the murderers would actually meet the parents of their victims. And throughout this process, our nation healed. And an aliveness returned to South Africa as our secrets were exposed that we'd never had before. So much so that this is our tourist slogan now. South Africa, alive with possibility. This is not an advertisement for South Africa. This is an advertisement for your life. Because you too can regain that rapture of being alive. You too can hold your own truth and reconciliation commission in your own life. And here's where I recommend you begin. I recommend you begin with your big secret first, the one that scares the crap out of you to share, the one that robs you of aliveness the most. Maybe you're angry with a friend, and you haven't found the courage to tell them yet, and there's distance between the two of you as a result. Maybe you've lied to somebody close to you, and uh, you know you haven't found the courage to tell them yet, and the love you once felt for them is fading away. Maybe. You're still in the closet about being homosexual. Or maybe you're hiding an addiction, and your secret double life is preventing you from connecting with people in a meaningful way. Maybe you've had an abortion, and haven't told the father of the baby. Maybe you've cheated on a lover, like I did, and haven't owned up to it yet, and the intimacy you once felt in your relationship is gone. Or maybe it's none of those things, big or small, whatever it is for you. To lie and to keep secrets is a fundamental part of being human. And lying and keeping secrets does not make you a bad person. And sharing your secrets and cleaning up your lies certainly doesn't make you a good person, right? It just allows you to be authentically yourself and create a life worth living from being who you are. Now, I'll be the first to admit that telling nothing but the truth about who you are and what you've done and how you feel, it's a radical stand to take. So a word of warning. This course of action isn't for the faint of heart, right? Things may get a lot worse before they get better when you begin sharing the secrets you've been hiding from the world. You may be ending up in the receiving end of a lot of pain and a lot of anger when you first share those secrets. But I want to promise you something. If you open your heart and take responsibility for having kept those secrets over the years and sit with the people who you've upset until they're complete, I promise you an aliveness will return to your life like you've never experienced before. And it won't be just a fleeting temporary fix that most of us are looking for outside of ourselves. It'll be a way of being that stays with you. So if you have no interest in self-liberation, please don't remember what I said. And very please, don't share your secrets with anybody. Because once you do, a world without numbness awaits you a world filled with aliveness. So the question I want to leave you with is, what's your secret? And how honest and open and real are you willing to be if sharing it would bring you back to life?
1: Big thanks to Bruce Music for stopping by. You can connect with him by visiting his website, brucemusic.com. I'll have A link to his entire talk as well as his website in the show description if you want to go check that out. And lastly, before you go, when you get a chance, please follow the show wherever you get your podcast or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of your day and I will see you back here Friday. So, Until then, stay strong. Later.